0: Thank you for tuning in to Tactile, a practical guide to transforming art and culture. This is the podcast of Leveraging a Network for Equity, LANE, a program of the National Performance Network. LANE supports arts organizations of color and rural organizations with time and resources needed to grow their infrastructure in ways that are culturally authentic and moves the field towards justice. I'm your host, Sage Crump, Program Specialist for Lane. And welcome everyone to another episode of Tactile, Transforming Art and Culture, the podcast of Leveraging a Network for Equity, program of the National Performance Network. My name is Sage Crump and I'm your host for this podcast. And I'm really excited about this opportunity today because we have one of our beta cohort members, the Theater Offensive out of Boston, Massachusetts, to talk with uh, for this podcast. The Theater Offensive joined Lane um, a few years ago. I guess we're in year three now. Um, And has just been one of the organizations that I feel like has really taken hold and really used... Laying like and every inch out of it. And so I'm really excited <laughs> to talk with their, their producing co-executive directors. And I'm going to have them introduce themselves.
1: My name is Harold Stewart. Um, as Sage just said, you know, I'm um, producing new producing co-executive directors. These are new titles for us as of July 1st. Um, I've been with the Theater Offensive for two years. So I hit my two-year mark this past June. Um, hailing from Dallas, Texas, which is home, um, working at the South Dallas Cultural Center. So I came in as a managing director, quickly moved to um, acting, an interim executive director, and now I'm producing co-executive
2: director. My name is Evelyn Francis. I use she or hers for pronouns. And I uh, have worked with the organization. I started actually in 2001. Uh, A. Breibach, our founding director, uh, came to a performance of my thesis project at emerson college and was like there's this job working with queer young people maybe you want to apply for it and i did and uh, very happily joined the team in 2001 as a teaching artist and over the course of several years uh also worked as um the director of education, and then the director of programs, and now the producing co-executive director. And so I've had opportunity to see about 18 years of the organization's growth and development and change, and I'm really excited for the future, working with Herald's.
0: Well, I feel like we hit the jackpot. I mean, I think you all have such uh, uh, bookends experiences that that you can share with folks. You've got someone who's been in the organization with two years now with Harold and then Evelyn going on 16, 17 years. We have a lot of that in NPN too. folks who are, you know, 13, 14, 17, 18 years, you know. And so there's there's so much to think about around the trajectory uh, of, of the theater offensive. But before we kind of launch into that, um, there's always one question we, we start with at the top of tactile. And that's because the, the, the name implies what it is. Like is. We're talking about the transformation of art and culture. We're talking about how change happens inside our field, inside our organizations, what changes might be inside ourselves, necessary to be the leaders for our organizations in a just future. And so I'm gonna ask you the question I ask everyone, which is, how do you believe change happens?
1: Hmm. I think for me, um, just thinking about this question, I go to like the popular education spiral, right? And the first step is the call. Um, So I feel like there's some kind of incident, there's something really driving the change, I think, There's a variety of different things that can really make it necessary for some change. Um, But what's like the impulse, you know? Um, So again, there's some kind of call or something that feels like this is a moment for uh, necessity for change. Um, And then are you as an individual and in our case, organizations or whatever, um, willing to kind of respond to the call, like this call for change.
2: Yeah, I think that's beautifully put, Harold, when I was thinking about this earlier, I was thinking about the impact. you know, when I have had personal change in my life, someone has impacted me in a particular way, or I have found myself impacting someone else and noticing that impact and saying, "Hmm, that wasn't what I intended." And so that real, like, shift, the, the like, like uh, molecular shift that can happen in your own body when you see how you are um, uh, impacting others, I-, I feel like that is uh, just a microcosm of the macrocosm. And I think it's a challenge to see it, to see what does change look like impact look like? I think we feel it so deeply in our bodies that impact and change but how do you notice it outside of your own body I think is something that uh, we're constantly working at at the theater offensive and I feel like I'm personally trying to work at it all the time as well so um, I think it's a really compelling question and one that I'm always working to discover
0: Thank you (laughs) Thank you both for that I um, I was with some folks this weekend, or maybe it was two weeks ago, and I was talking with someone about change and working with folks, and um, we were laughing because whenever you ask the question, like, do you believe we need to change? Everyone's like, yes, and then you're like, are you ready to change yourself in order to make that change happen? Crickets, 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 mm. you know?
1: maybe. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. Maybe. Some things. I know, like, I just got this color. I'm not changing.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so what are the things that, you know, uh, what made TTO feel like um, you were ready for change? Like when you applied to Lane, it's. It was with the understanding, well, I hope <laughs> that, you know, that this four years was going to be spent, you know, thinking about the organization and, um, and we try and write the application in a way that asks people to think really deeply about their, themselves, their, their organizations and, and what, what they want to investigate over these, over the four years. And so I'm curious when you're talking about that, both listen to both of you describe um, how you believe change happens, both from the impetus piece that you were talking about, Harold, and then also Evelyn, this idea of like being able to look outside yourself to see what needs to change inside. This sort of iterative process. Like, what was going on? What is it? Five years ago, that you were like, uh, well, I guess three years ago, um, and you're like, huh? Let's let's well, let's go ahead and dive into this thing that no one knows about or has never existed before. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: so i would actually go back and say five years ago five or more years mm. ago because the organization applied for the alpha cohort okay. um and you know whatever re- i mean i was not with the organization then but they i think thinking about lane and uh, and and this um opportunity um the organization wanted to respond immediately or felt like it needed it um from the onset and I think in the beta cohort round, uh, the, the decision to go back in, m- maybe some of the same initial thoughts um, and why this opportunity would, for Lane would be right for the theater offensive. Um, A. Breitbeck, the founding director, uh, um, was preparing um, to exit the organization, um, which we knew would overlap with um the four years of Lane, so kind of at the 30th mark, which we are at now celebrating our 30th anniversary. He's the founder, so for 30 years, he's been shepherding this. Um, So in that kind of succession planning moment we were in, um, I think also after a lot of years of kind of growth in programs, growth in finances, um, and growth in staff, organizational growth, um, there were some challenges. and the organization really needs to figure out how to change its strategy or how it looks at itself um, to sustain its growth or really reassess where it was as an, an organization. Um, I think really the theater offensive, being a leader in a lot of regards in terms of you know theater, cultural organizing, culture, arts and culture, arts and community, whatever category you want to put it in, but also being a learning organization, the idea of going deeper with some of the members organizations of MPN, what could we learn, what could we share, like the organization thrives on those type of initiatives. So it's all kind of enticing. Um, And I think, you know, we're an organization that likes to be a part of... um, initiatives, things that are new. Um, So even getting in early, I think, was also kind of enticing as well. But in terms of what was going on in the organization, we were in a succession moment. Um, We really needed to look at our business model um, again because that business model shift for us would have been like 10 years ago. The theater offensive changed the business model again. So it was time to look at how the business model was working like 10 years later and being able to do that with support um from consultants again was an opportunity um organization life cycle again we were going to hit 30. um (laughs) so that was another opportunity and really who would the theater offensive of the future be was a question so yeah i think lane is a rare opportunity to think through all of that um and for us to have access to it because of our membership in npn i think we would fool ourselves if we didn't like at least try um to be a part of the initiative those are my thoughts
0: what i'm curious about in listening to harold is also this this arc okay. it sounds like of like there was a change 10 years ago here we are in another 10 years and and um can you can you speak a little bit about like what the changes might have been like what felt like a shift 10 years ago and what feels like a shift what feels important about the shift that's happening right now?
2: Uh yeah, so the shift 10 years ago um so the financial crisis was happening in the world mm-hmm. and it was crushing small theater companies all over America and the world. And we were not immune to that. And it, the way forward, I, I think Abe as our founder, uh, cha- he is not, when we talk about change, he is not allergic to change. He thrives on change, right? Chaos is, you know, his God. Um, he loves change and what it kind of brings up Uh, in community and with funders. It's something new and exciting to talk about. And he, uh, as we were doing our work, you know, something that we noticed is that in theater things, so we had a a festival that ran uh, for many years and it was one of the first LGBTQ specific festivals. Um, It was the first in Boston, but one of the first in the country. And it was a very, very proud thing. And we were holding on, Mm. you know, to the very end with a death grip, really. And what we realized is that um, it was kind of past its its time. Folks weren't coming out for it as much, and um, people weren't funding it. The funders were not putting money towards festivals the way they were, or in theater productions at all. But what people were putting money towards were community-engaged activities, and um, we knew how to do that very well in our youth programming. It was very clear youth development models are very clear about those who are um, taking part in activities lead those activities and build those activities so the idea that community any community would come together to create work um, based on models that they had created themselves was not a unique idea for our company and so one of the reasons I moved from director of education to director of programs was because uh, I had a skill set in that in understanding how uh, community comes together to build, build work together. So uh, we had a big staff. Shift. We went down to only two and a half staff members. This was 10 years ago and really had to figure out how do we do the work the most efficient. And then over the course of the years, after people started to really understand what we were doing with our out in your neighborhood strategy, bringing art to all corners of Boston and trying to make sure that Uh, folks who didn't have access to art uh, could have access in their neighborhoods and they were building work in their neighborhoods, Um, that uh, the excitement for our work was there and funders started showing back up to say, we believe in what you're doing. And then it wasn't just, we believe in what you're doing. The community was saying, you're the leader in what we're doing. And uh, we're very, very excited about that. And what we discovered is that communities, specifically communities of color, were the ones most supportive model and were most to work. And I think the very exciting thing about this point now is to say explicitly, we are a people of color organization and how are we focusing and centering people of color in our mission, in our work, and our values, And in everything that we do, rather than not saying that uh, just up front. And I feel like that's a very exciting first step for our organization. There's a lot to discover because we've had uh, white, cis, male leadership for a very long time. There's a lot to discover in this moment, as Abe did 10 years ago to say, here's where our work is headed. Uh, Are you on board with us? I feel like we're back in that place to say here's where our work is moving. Are you on board with us? Will you continue to support us? Community, funders, foundations, will you continue to support us? And that links back to why I think Lane is so important. It's so clear what the world could look like. When you're at Lane, it's so clear what the world could look like. And I, I feel like if, if we could show that to people, that they would absolutely want to support that world with us. Mm. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree. I was I, one thing I thought about as you were speaking, Evelyn, in terms of like where we are now, and I think it's something you and I think about all the time. As the kind of new official leaders of this organization, um, we've made some proclamations. We're a queer trans people of color organization um there's still questions on like what that means um and i think for me that it's exciting to know some things and not to know others right to get to discover again because it Mm -hmm. makes me feel like an active participant um as much as a quote-unquote leader but also not totally erasing and not using what we've learned from history and carrying on some of the historic things that have worked and recently i was at some event responding to a question similar like this (laughs) about (laughs) the future of the theater offensive Mm -hmm. and i just so happened to be reading um in my travels kathy cohen's um punks bulldoggers Mm -hmm. and welfare queens the Mm -hmm. radical possibility of queer politics Mm
0: -hmm. it's amazing and
1: much of what i've read about the theater offensive and understood. And what I was seeing in the text um, was like, oh, this was the theater offensive in terms of real queer political activism uh, um, using culture. And I was wondering, in terms of like vision, because you know, everybody, what is your vision for the organization? (laughs) It's like, how do we go back to that? You know, how do we really re-engage or deeper engage with punks, well welfare queens, queer and trans folks, as you know, as you were talking about the community, is like, I think if we be specific, that's the community we're talking about as um, people who aesthetic we value, their opinions we value, who art and cultural production, we wanna center um, in a way that feels right for this moment. And I think, The difference is the queer and trans people of color um, kind of focus where we've always been inclusive and now centering those experiences. What does that mean? Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I think this moment of, you know, working towards liberation um, your whole life or whenever you decide to work on it, I think it's rare where you get to see the fruits of your labor, I guess, to put it in, in that regard. There's a lot of, about queer and trans people of color, artists, and things that I do not know, right, that I, I'm I'm struggling to understand. But I've been working towards liberating us um, all my adult life. And what I'm understanding is that, oh, this is a lib- the liberation that you're seeing, like how queer and trans people of color are showing up is what you've worked towards, even if you don't know it right now. But it's like a thing of beauty when you see more trans representation, when you see a pushback and questioning of Mm -hmm. um, aesthetics and ways of being and things like that. And um, you can see liberation and you can vision it and it can look exactly how you saw it or it can look totally different. But um, What Nina Simone says, I'll tell you what freedom is to me, (laughs) no fear, you know, but if that feeling is there of like, you know, even and I'll just I'm being honest about there's a a lot that I don't know, but I want to around our aesthetic, our work, who, what the variety. But if it's done from a place where we're not fearing walking into it, you know, we're taking educated risk or we're investing in risk and you know there's room for much joy and celebration it feels like this is the right time for that type of moment that we're not always on the offensive even though that's our name and i think the offensive is the affirmative right you know it affirms our existence when we say oh no we're not that shit is not no anti that or um it affirms something but I'm really excited about continuing and really elevating the joy and celebration that queer and trans people of color bring mm-hmm. into the work as well mm-hmm. as the fight.
0: You know, I, I listening to both of you, it's also making me think about even the the trajectory inside the organization reflects that. Like this idea of like how do our internal movements reflect what we're talking about externally and and the ways in which you were you were Uh, referencing Harold you know TTO applied to Lane twice like started and and Evelyn when you were talking about what I what I was queuing into was the ways in which the theater offensive looks at the the landscape the context decides like this is the this is the right movement for us in this time and then says to folks hopefully you're going to come along with us are you going are you going to are you going to be able to rock with us right like this is where we're we're headed, mm-hmm. and and it feels like there's been a series of that, and you're in another moment of that. And I just want to back to affirm. I think that's that's back to mm-hmm. Nina Simone, right? It's not well. It's not no fear because Nina <laughs> Nina was actually like she was fearless. Um, and and <laughs> uh, <laughs> I could wish if we could all be Nina Simone, but mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. it is this like I don't know what's gonna happen when I make this change, but I do know this change needs to happen. Mm-hmm. 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 And, and and you all have demonstrated that over and, and over again. And I think that's where um, a lot of folks get hemmed up, you know, of like, I, I can't move because I need to know exactly what's going to happen on the other side of it. And so I'm wondering if there are things you can share with folks about what it means to be inside, like you called it a, a learning organization, like what it means to be inside a learning organization or inside a place that... Um, takes that takes risks calculated mitigated whatever words we want to put in front of risk with that that takes that risk and and what makes that okay how do you all find the place to be like okay we're going to do this because it's it's the movement that we know needs to happen even if we don't know how it's going to turn out
2: earlier before we started taping or recording uh harold said change is upon us and it is a us like it's it is heavy on us and it means that there's so much change and it's coming so quickly that there's a way in which we have to have a deep trust for one another
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
2: and uh, not just me Harold and I absolutely and I do I trust him so much and I think also our team, that we have to trust our team. And, you know, we work with some spectacular people, some of which who have done this work for many, many years, some decades, and trusting that they know what they're doing, that when they see something happening or they see a response in the community, that they'll bring it to light, that they'll bring it to the table, that we'll be able to have fine space to uh, talk about it, to process it. I think trust is a big part of this. And it, it, it you have to earn that, that every every ounce of trust you have to earn. And there are some days where I feel like we're trusted and other days where I feel like, <laughs> I don't know if I trust myself to do this at this point. <laughs> so um it's it's definitely a roller coaster ride, but I'd say for folks who are, are trying to do this, that that's what it feels like, and that as long as you can stay with the wee instead of the ah, then you can <laughs> you can really get to the end of the ride to see what you've created together. You know, I think that you there's such an opportunity there um, if you just understand the ride is not always going to be beautiful it's not always going to be fun but it it all in all it's worth it yeah
1: i think well put evelyn i think things that i would add Mm -hmm. you know i'll speak for myself yeah and i think evelyn would agree it's funny because you know we're trying to figure out when we're the collective, we, we're still working on collective name and we're individuals, but we talk a lot. So that trust moment is like, you know, I don't think I'm saying anything that Evelyn will disagree with or even say, no, nope, that's not how I see it. But we this is something that we had to learn to do, like how to really mm-hmm. communicate the change that was happening within the organization, who needed to know what information, how much of what You know, so we really had to, you know, make the road by walking it. We had some resources. And I think, Lane, as you said, uh, Sage, you know, we really take every article we get, every syllable that comes out of Sage Crump's mouth, (laughs) we're hanging on to it as kind of guidance and instructions. But a couple of things that was key in terms of the learning and applying stuff uh, around communications is we ask people you know board staff to really assess how they deal with change because we knew that there was a lot of change and i think it's important to name it for us again 30th anniversary abe was leaving new leadership new organization structure this lane thing right um so it wasn't just <laughs> one thing was happening or, and they would happen, you know, in this kind of chronological order. They were all kind of happening at the same time and still recovering from some of the um change that had happened previously or things that just that was already shaken up. So there it, it wasn't a recovery moment before it was like, oh, and now all of this new stuff is going to happen. So we asked folks to really, Take a moment and just think about how they deal with change, because we knew we were going to have a lot coming and it would be complex. Um, it would not be linear, um, but uh, we wanted to lean into the complexities. You wanted. We were committed to figuring some things out and if for your, and wellness is very important, right? Because change can be triggering, right? It can change, it can be, I mean, I yeah, it can be triggering in terms of, oh, I remember when my parents got a divorce or I remember when we moved or I, you know, it's like, it can be very, very triggering um, because it looks like um, instability. Um, it can look like that. So if you couldn't deal with that or if you needed resources, you know, we asked folks to communicate that. But if it was your time to figure out if you could really be with this organization in this critical moment or not, you had to assess that. So some people have stayed and they've been patient. They've been vocal. They've really contributed to um, where we are now. Other people made a decision that um, and a good a personal decision that we respect that they needed to move on um, from the organization. Um, and. Just always having that moment that you could check in with leadership or anybody about how this change is feeling or you know what you need um in this moment um and again we did that on the board level we did that on the staff level and i think for us in this moment of like risk try we were honest about what we were doing so you know Right now, everything is an experiment. <laughs> Even our titles, you know, <laughs> they will appear <laughs> for as long as they need to appear. But nothing, <laughs> I think in a moment of change, nothing is permanent, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so don't get used to like permanence. Um, so, but we had to be honest about um, our needs, where we are and kind of what was going on. So transparency is really clear if you're going to ask people to stay with you through the complexities. um, I think there are things that we're all learning about change because, you know, some of the change that you advocate for, may affect you differently than you thought it was. So again, it may be your budget that's cut <laughs> in order to make way for <laughs> something you feel like is a real value and we need. And it was like, oh, when I was advocating for that, I wouldn't like cut my budget to get it. But it was like, no, we're talking about change and where we can give, um, what can we receive and how we can collectively really make this moment happen. And I think if the change is all rooted in a better TTO um for the staff for the board for the artists for the community then we had you know a constant reminder of like we're doing this because this is the TTO we want to see this is how we want to show up in the world this is the effect that we want on um individuals and you can't do that remaining the same you know so there's some give and take so I also think being really clear with even funders around this is where we are in this moment, <laughs> so you too get to make that same decision. you with TTO or maybe you need to rethink some things, have people consistently stand with us and know who needed to make uh, who needed to have a different relationship with the organization hmm.
0: That's that's really helpful. Uh, that's really helpful for me to hear. I think that's helpful for a lot of folks to hear, um, uh, especially the way you two dovetail each other so well. When I listen to you both, so thank you. Because what I'm thinking about, what it's got me thinking about in the moment is, what's the difference between we and ah, right? Like, and <laughs> and and a part of that that difference on that roller coaster of when you're like, this is this is an experience, or this is terrifying, is about how we can continue to find uh, a place of wonder or question or inquiry, right? And um, w- the question that comes up for me is like, how do you two stay in a space of ex- like, this is an experiment and and um, we're trying some new things and we're we're excited about where TTO can go when I know folks want you to have answers that's what folks do they want you to provide comfort and answers and when you don't have those for folks how do you help stick because what i'm also hearing is you all have found a way to keep folks in the collective in their collective sense and and so i would love if you'll talk a little bit about how you do that
1: all right, so i want to talk about the organization i encountered right and what made it easy for me and so before i got here you know, the constant interrogation of white supremacy and white supremacy culture and how it showed up in the organization. You know, it was an organization that was building that kind of collective um, already and that kind of risk taking um, and things like that. And, and I think, again, the constant interrogation was really undoing a lot of the white supremacy culture that was within the organization. Um, so I, I think that's been kind of key. And exciting because there's a lot of things that we're undoing um, in this change moment that is tied to white supremacy that's kind of exciting because if you can if you look at it on an institutional level then maybe you can look at it maybe on an individual level and other things um, so that's my thoughts
2: I, I think that's so well put Harold uh, the thing that was coming up for me was the the culture that existed and part there were the toxic parts of our culture that were there that we already knew existed and we needed to work on it. It had been pointed out internally, externally. There were all these ways where it was like, oh no, oh no, this is not who we want to be. So there's a way in which uh, the timing of the shift was really critical But I'd say the folks who want answers from us, something I think that folks do know is that we are not afraid of change and we are not afraid to um, uh, say we don't have the answers and that we truly, truly want the community to contribute to what the answers are. Um, And, it's not that no one else is doing that. There are lots of amazing organizations in Boston and elsewhere that are doing that. And it takes time and it takes thoughtfulness and preparation to gather people in a room, really hear what they have to say and then see how that comes out of the stew. You know, what, what, what everybody puts into the pot is all something different. And what that stew becomes in the end is something we... Sometimes it's inedible. It's it's a stew that nobody can eat, and other times it's like this is sweeter than we ever thought it could be, with all the con- the community contributing to it. So I think that is part of the DNA of the theater offensive because um, our founding in 1989 as a guerrilla street theater troupe was in response to the AIDS the early AIDS epidemic and um that was the reason we existed we came into being was something was happening in the community and the organization was built spawned to that and so we've gone far away from those roots and um so when folks are are saying why don't you have the answer evelyn why don't you have the answer harold i we can genuinely say well we've we've got to talk to the community and we'll we'll give you an answer as soon as we feel like we have one from them.
0: Oh, I think that's that's really amazing um, because that was the other thing I was hearing. Um, listening to you, Evelyn, I was I was thinking about uh, a quote by um, Jackson, uh, Jackson, Mississippi, mayor, may he rest in power, former uh, Pan-African and civil rights lawyer, uh, Chokwe Lumumba would say, trust the people and the people will prove themselves trustworthy. And, it and that's the first time i had heard it was attributed to, to chuck Chakwe lumumba but i think that there's something that happens sometimes in community-based organizations where folks um serve a community right like and they serve it in a way that they're like oh i see what you need let me offer this or even on the absolute other end of the pendulum is tell us everything, and we'll just do what you say because we're really afraid to actually engage you. So, you know, mm-hmm. and so, like, mm-hmm. what it sounds like is you all are in the middle where you're like, oh, we are all the community, and so we listen to each other and we and we make this soup together, right? Like, is is what I'm, I'm hearing, and and I really appreciate you talking about the formation of TTO because it feels like because the AIDS epidemic was uh, was the the genesis by which it would like folks were had to trust each other right like we knew the state wasn't coming through we knew folks were dying like there are all kinds of things mm-hmm. where it was like we all we mm-hmm. got the the original we all we got right like and this is what's the <laughs> meaning literal survival um and so as you as and ha- being a, a an arts organization that's born out of that um the trust in in folks and being part of the community feels Really vital in ways that I don't often hear folks speak about. So I'm appreciating that. Um, so I'm curious about like, uh, what is there anything like around things that you've learned um, through this journey that you would share, folks? Um, I, I kind of want to key in specifically, but I want to hear what you all might feel like. I want to share, like, this is something that I've learned that I think. Um, <laughs> folks should know about when they're encountering tra- I mean y'all have already talked about the, the growth and, and, and then it's called a slinky theory where it kind of expands and then contracts and like how you kind of move through it y'all have talked about so many different things um, but um, is there anything in particular like look if you're going to embark on some deep transformative, not not just like, you know, this is cute, we're just going to change some desks around, but if you're going to embark on some deep transformative change, here's, here's a thing that you should be thinking about.
1: We've been talking about the collective, and I think it's important to do it in a collective. You know, for us, Lane, we have this same cohort of organizations. We have consultants and things like that to where we couldn't just exist in our own little bubble and do this. Um, And to say that would be the way we would want to do it. But even within the organization, what is, how are you doing this collectively? Again, if you look at some organizational structure, all of the vision lies within one person. (laughs) The change strategies is one person. Typically, it's an ED who is at the top working, quote unquote, in conjunction with the board. Um, And, you know, it's like, but really, is that what you're doing? Or is it, you know, one person carrying um, the bulk of this and the value the risk, the opportunity, the accountability, the rewards can be shared, um, especially all of the uncertainty and the change is well-informed. And I think, you know, really understanding myself and my limitations. So the more you can have diverse opinions, can have a collective, I think the richer the outcomes are. Um, Evelyn and I always talk about you know our differences um, besides the obvious ones but the way we think and so uh, invitation for those differences to um, exist and inform a thing has really helped um, because this change moment because there are a lot of things that I hadn't thought about the way in which she thought about it or the way in which Rebecca or the staff people kind of think about it so you have to kind of you know, work in a collective, run it by the collective, and and that to me is a well-informed decision. And so when you present it back to the people, um, you have some either justification of why you made this decision and and things like that, but trying to go at it alone, even if that's your quote unquote job and responsibility, I think um, may be an error for some folks
2: hmm Thinking a little bit about kind of this, this process, uh, there's this interesting parallel that I'm finding, you know, as the, the adjectives that I'm using to describe our work to other people or what have you, you know, using words like transparency and clear communication and trust. And, and, you know, I've been with my partner for 21 years and I just think like, oh, the greatest relationship of my life has taught me how to have a good relationship with each and every person in this organization and the community, right? So I think about this like deep, deep love that I have for her and this deep, deep love that I have for this community and how do I translate that love to these actionable things, you know, being clear, uh, and, uh, being, being willing to apologize when you really screw something up, uh, accepting responsibility, all the things that make really great relationships. And, um, that was surprise to me. Uh, It wasn't a way in which I had thought about my role as a leader before. You know, it felt very, um, uh, I guess I was very implementation driven. And I realized how important relationships are, you know, all the systems that you build in an organization are to support relationships, whether it be a database or an evaluation tool or, you know, making a key for the front door that's about a relationship with another human being and so that was something that I feel like I've learned in this process and I feel like oh my god I think I know how to do this have a good relationship so that that's been exciting and and a surprise (laughs) and then the other thing is that like uh the the rules part of this you know there, there are rules in making organizations, right? There are boundaries, there are limitations, we have boards, all of that. But there are certain things that I think Harold and I have sat down and said, Now, wait a minute, why, does, why, why are we doing that? Why does it work that way? Why don't we have a... Yes. Uh, from Christmas to year, New Year's every year? Why is that a thing? Nobody mm-hmm. else is working. Why are we? Are, you know, there are just these things that are everyday burdens on staff that we can say, we don't have to do that. That's not necessary. There is no law that says we have to do it that way, and there's no nothing in the employee handbook that says we have to do it that way, that we are required to do it that way. And to just be able to call into question each of those Things as they come up. I think that's the way in which we can revolutionize our field is to say, why is it that we do it this way, and can we do it differently so humans can be respected in the system that's been built?
0: Mm. That's a mic drop right there, Evelyn. Uh, like, there's this question of like a que- the question we <laughs> never ask, like why? You know, I, I was with a I was doing consulting with an organization last week, and. Uh, I just, I was like, you can't policy and procedure manual your way out of white supremacist culture. You know, like, you, hmm. you can't, like, that that actually doesn't work hmm. that way. Right? Like, you can If write,
2: only, you know, if only.
0: If, if only it took a manual to rewrite. Yeah, and only. then you're like, mm, we're done. We've done it. Yep. We've rewritten our mission, our values, and our policy manual. Thank you so much. Sage, here's a check. And I'm like, I'm like actually, that's not the work. And you're like, <laughs>
1: What I was going to say, when we do that, we think we're worthy of a certificate of achievement, like we've done it. And I think in this undoing work that we're doing around white supremacy culture, it's like, oh, there's no there's no certificate of achievement because the paper is not what we're looking for. We're looking to transform the world. So when you feel like the world has been transformed, then maybe. One, you have to figure out how to sustain it. <laughs> sustain the transformation. Mm-hmm.
0: It almost feels like um when it, when a magician pulls out the, the handkerchief and it's one color and then it's the next color and like the handkerchief never ends. Like it just keeps coming. You're know? like, how do you enjoy the colors? The undoing right, work is just yeah. it's like, Oh, look at all the different colors, you know oh, <laughs> that are possible. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Yes, so yeah. that's what you all are, are, are talking about, and that's what you all are making me think of, and, and specifically the the um, how do we how do we be in our dignity and in and create systems in which everyone can be in theirs uh, on this path to liberation. The last question I'm I'm curious about um, because I think you all are one of the organizations that has leaned into the cornerstones in a, in a really thoughtful way, um, and so one of the things we do with the. Um, with this podcast with tactile is, we have a a um, a podcast that's about one of the cornerstones. And then we have a you know a, a cohort member, and we kind of go back and forth. So folks sort of get a bit of the theory and then some sense of the application of what it could look like inside an organization. And you know our our cornerstones are emergence, racial justice, and cultural equity popular education and design justice of which you all have already spent the last 40 minutes schooling us on in depth but just in case folks don't (laughs) actually put the word next to the deed I wanted to ask you all if you could speak uh, um, on ways that you see those things connected or living inside your work or the way that you work
1: so I would say one of the things about the cornerstones It was easy to we had permission to implement them in the organization because, um, you know, they were attached to this initiative. And while Lane is not necessarily just about the funding, it's a whole four year kind of initiative and experience, not necessarily a grant. um, The way in which kind of staff and board understood it initially was like, oh, MPN is a different type of funder now it's not just about subsidy but like in many ways a major funder for the organization so it gave us as leaders of the organization permission to say a funder is asking us to consider these cornerstones i think we should do it because you know (laughs) we got the funding uh and which everyone was open to um so what we had to assess racial and cultural justice you know what does that look like um, Popular education. What is it? Do we do it? You know, oh, we were doing it one way. Now it's called this thing. Um, emergence, I think, was the one that felt the newest and the deepest learning curve for all of us. But again, using Agent Marie Brown's work, you know, as a young black. Open invitation to be like, oh, please tell me more. Can we read more? Can we apply that? Um, which one am i missing and design justice because what i forgot to mention is another kind of component of change that was happening within the organization was strategic planning (laughs) and so the organization had kind of named some things that they wanted to explore shared leadership you know racial justice and, and things like that um and deepening the engagement with community so those four cornerstones just gave us permission to be who we were um saying vocalize you know that we were explore how to get there um so i think again the racial justice piece really shows up in terms of you know becoming a queer and trans people of color organization we really had looked at our You know, not quite 30 years at that moment of like the role of people of color um, within the organization and shaping um, the change that happened kind of 10 years ago. To the out in your neighborhood strategy was out in for. Largely people of color neighborhoods. So that's where we were spending all of our time and our work. So the question was, what does it look like to commit to people of color by mission? Is that, you know, um, in tune with our racial justice values? When we created that plan, one of the things that we said in that strategic plan was eliminating homophobia in our neighborhoods required eliminating um, racism, too. You know, so we've seen them kind of connected. so making that move to really focus on racial justice and people of color by mission was an easy move. Again, if we're undoing white supremacy within the organization, what does it mean not to center white cis male experts or are, are things like that? So, what does the community say? How do we know this is what the community is saying? And then, how can we co-design with community? Um, are some of the things that you know we're still. Trying to figure out, um, but actively using those cornerstones along the way.
2: Mm-hmm. It's been a magnificent roadmap for us. As uh, they are cornerstones for a reason, and I, I feel like they they're holding up the building right now. <laughs> in some ways, um, helping mm-hmm. keep the foundation together. And and there's it's so clear these four were I remember Harold and Abe came back from a meeting and they gave me the pamphlet and I just thought God this feels like what we've been trying to say but just couldn't find the way to say it Uh, but it tied in all the ways in which we were working with community I agree with Harold some of the emergence elements were really difficult because most often the pace of a theater company is so, like you have to be on the edge, go, go, go all the time. And so emergent, emergence meant really sink down into what we're doing. And I, I do feel like that dovetailed with racial justice, felt like, oh, right, this is how white supremacy shows up in my body, that go, 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 don't, don't think about it, just do those two things um and the settling in that we did particularly around the strategic plan uh it was just beautiful it was a beautiful moment to just realize how all of that has been so in my body and then it's going to take a lot of work for me to stay vigilant to keep culling through it and to try to be present to be uh with community and do this work and and try to be a good ally god damn it um it's gonna take work 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 and these four cornerstones are a constant reminder of the work that needs to be done
0: and i I appreciate you for throwing rihanna in there (laughs) as a reminder i think that's
2: beautiful i was
0: like yeah. I love talking to TTO. <laughs> so if you're stuck with your organization and you're concerned, play a little Rihanna. Work, 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 work. And it'll it it'll it'll all swear. work.
1: It'll uh, work but, but don't just play Rihanna. And then it came from me. You got to get Rihanna in
0: your, oh, get okay. in your body.
1: I'm the
2: said
0: it. Oh, okay. Get it in your body.
2: god. Move. Get it in your body.
0: Get it in your body. Wonderful. Well, I so appreciate the time you all are taking to talk with me today. Uh, um, I learn so much um, every time I, I get to sit and talk with you both uh, both about TTO and just about um, it just feeds me a lot in my thinking around like how um, change is happening and I'm really grateful for you all uh, participating in Lane for the way you have and for the way you're showing up not just for your organizations but for the rest of us and so just gratitude so much gratitude for both of you uh, and uh, um is there any anything coming up? Um, you, all, you all have a 30, 30th anniversary fundraiser going on right now. Is that right?
2: Yes, we do. You can go to our webpage
0: if you'd like to uh, support. Thanks so much, Harold and Evelyn. Y'all have a great day. Thank you for listening. Funding support for Lane is provided by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. You can find more information about Lane and the amazing organizations involved on the NPN website, www.npnweb.org. This episode was co-edited by Amanda Bankston and Monica Tyran. Jazz Franklin is our podcast editor and sound design by Mootsy
2: Reed.